Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Just like that, the final hour is here for Hot Mike with Honey Withrow across the Outkick Network. Almost made it, Hutton. Almost made it. Monday edition. Glad you're with us. The Outkick Network includes our great YouTube channel. Hope you, hopefully you've already subscribed. If you have, you know you get all of the shows, live or on demand, clips, and much more extra content. Subscribe if you haven't. Just search out Outkick on YouTube, and you can find us and all of the great programs there. You can also find Chad in the chat uh, with uh, those that are joining us live, live 3 o'clock Eastern weekday afternoons here on OutKick, and certainly uh, appreciate the radio end of this as well with the great radio partner you're listening to currently. Chad, Jim Harbaugh, well, he's going to coach every game this season. And it's not, it's not, I think the headlines are a bit deceiving here where, you know, the headlines were, he avoids suspension. He skates by. Yeah, but that that is true. He's not going to he's not going to be suspended for the first four games of the upcoming season. But skates by isn't how I would describe the the statement from one of the NCAA vice presidents, uh, Derek Crawford, who and, and again it, it was over not cooperating with an investigation that has since had a show cause penalty and uh, other suspensions for offensive and defensive assistance. Here's the quote from Derek Crawford. The Michigan infractions case is related to impermissible on and off campus recruiting during the COVID-19 dead period and impermissible coaching activities, not a cheeseburger. It so is not uncommon part, not a cheeseburger. for the committee on infractions to seek clarification on key facts prior to accepting, accepting the deal here. I'm implying that there. They also say that the agreement is not is not going to be agreed upon unless it's in uh, the best interests of the association or the penalties are not reasonable. If the involved parties cannot resolve a case through the negotiated resolution process, it may proceed to a hearing, but the committee believes cooperation is the best avenue to quickly resolve issues. That from the NCAA vice president on hearing operations, Derek Crawford. Two things I take from this. Number one, um, the head coach at Michigan – Jim Harbaugh wasn't cooperating earlier this year whenever they were looking into this by saying he didn't remember. Um, was, has to be behind the scenes pushing the narrative of, well, this is over a cheeseburger. What did we, uh, did we give a recruit a, a, a food here? Was it over, did we buy something that we shouldn't have? Look around college athletics right now and the landscape that we're looking at and the money that's being handed out. And we can't do a, a burger a hamburger uh, a lunch. Well, really, it's more than that. It's contact during a dead period or uh, practice regiments, workouts, different things. Was Michigan the only one doing this? Absolutely not. But it's the non-cooperation uh, from Harbaugh that is alluded to even at the very bottom where it says, hey, uh, of the statement, we, we want something that's in the best interest of both parties and... 
while we can go to a hearing, we prefer that we go through the negotiated process to come to an agreement first. Chad, I take this as that was not going to happen with Harbaugh, who was still pushing back on the four-game negotiated suspension that everyone was in an uproar over because, again, you're, you're, you have a, a violation of rules that they are uh, apparently trying to enforce, and they're negotiating the suspension down, not up, based on breaking those rules and policies. I get it. It's, it's laughable across the board with what the NCAA chooses to police and what they don't. But in this case, they are at least taking a step back and saying, hey, um, this isn't good for us. Sorry, Jim. We're, we're going to take our time and come back around to it. So, yeah, while, while he avoids suspension, uh, my guess is the suspension is coming, just not in 2023. And who knows if Harbaugh's there in 2024. Well, the, the NCAA is saying cooperation is always the best t- uh, path. Clearly, not cooperating is Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Last I checked, Jim Harbaugh still has a boss in Michigan. I, I don't know who that is. I know he's been at odds with his athletic director. But they could still just say, well, they didn't accept this as the punishment. But because you won't answer questions the NCAA, we're going to suspend you for four games in hopes that that will be negated by whatever they come back and say, right, in the future. That could be a time-spent type thing. At least to throw the NCAA a bone and saying, we're playing ball a little bit. You didn't accept it, but we're going we're gonna to do this regardless, right? Yeah. They're not going to do that, though. He's going to coach every game this year. Michigan's going to go try to win a national championship, which is possible with this returning roster they have and their schedule. So they're going to go big this year. And my expectation is after this year – one of two things will happen. Jim Harbaugh will miss the entire 2024 season because the NCAA is going to try to make a point about lying to them and not being forthcoming and not meeting and not cooperating with them. So he'll get a full season suspension or he'll bolt for the NFL and not deal with any of it. Well, what's interesting, though, is it, the reports that were coming out about this based on not cooperating with the investigation, uh, it's not that he lied. It's that he's saying he didn't remember. Right? I don't recall. Uh, which isn't helping the direction of the investigation. But, Chad, is, do you remember the, the, the maximum suspension could have been six games, and they were negotiating a four-game suspension? I don't know. Can they go back and now try to go after a year? If, again, uh, if they can't, they, they can't even get Harbaugh suspended for six games, which is the maximum, if they're so upset with the situation, they could do that based on the infractions and, and the bylaws there, the rules. But they were negotiating four, and it's the way it's been handled uh, perception-wise publicly that I think has irked uh, the NCAA. Well, the NCAA the can do whatever they want, because if they say that since this happened, he's been less cooperative, which he has. I mean, he, he did not want the four-game suspension. He made that no very doubt. clear in his answers. Like He does not want to play ball the NCAA at all. And he's only going to say things that continue to, to, to show that. So if you show them up, that's when they start to try to show out. Yeah. And I mean the NCAA. So that they could do whatever they want. Now, could Michigan come back and say, well, what about six games to the NCAA? What if we suspended for six? Yeah, but the, the, And just told them what, what we're doing. But the, you're, you're like, who's, who's his boss? Uh, the president of Michigan, Ono? Santa Ono, I believe. They're like best buddies. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ono on his own Twitter account was tweeting out that Harbaugh was back before the AD even knew about it. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It's Wetzel, though, from Yahoo, says that uh, this, is, this is something that's not going away. It's just kind of 
been tabled, which is not a good thing for either side and the timetable of how this normally goes. Crazy story. I think the worst thing, just wrapping this whole thing up, the fact that the NCAA put in an official statement from one of their vice presidents, this is not about a cheeseburger. Mark that down. I've never seen that before. I've never seen the NCAA officially comment on media reports that way and try to dispel the notion that this is something small. That's them saying this is not small. This is big. And I'll tie it back into Tennessee. Tennessee was up to more stuff too, but their head coach and entire staff got fired and they cooperated with the NCAA. Over half of it was over COVID-19 violations. Right. And that's what the NCAA is directly saying Michigan is guilty of as well. But those who that have been penalized would continue to be under discipline. Like the, the show cause, you've got, you know, there would have been a show cause, but the defensive coordinator ends up with John Harbaugh in Baltimore with the Ravens. Uh, so those penalties have already been levied or will be. Um, and also, like, the NCAA, they had to release a statement if Michigan, or if word was getting out that he was going to coach those four games. So they had to respond in some way. This is more heavy-handed, you're right, than what we would normally see from, you know, what uh, AI could could have uh, written or, or, you know, uh, typed up for the NCAA in that regard. Crazy story with, with Michael Orr uh, today in a Tennessee court for news that he found out he, through his attorney saying that they found out back in February that he was never legally adopted, that, in fact, they, the, the Tuies, Sean and Leanne Tuie, uh, did, in fact, sign a document with Michael Orr when he turned 18 on uh, a conservatorship that allowed them to have the legal authority to make business deals and use his name behind that and then profit off of it. So this stems from, of course, the blind side. In 2009, it grossed over $300 million as a film. Uh, Emmy Award winner in some categories, right? Sandra Bullock, I believe, with uh, Best Tim McGraw. Um, so in a, a Tennessee court today, Michael Orr claims that the Tuies uh, struck a deal with him and he signed this document at 18 under the notion that he was being adopted and that was not the case. He's not legally through the Orr family, the Tui family. He was just signing a document that allowed them the right to have the legal authority over finance and business decisions, which he found out at the age of 37 this past February. And I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm adopted. I'm 39. I cannot imagine the, what I would be thinking if I signed something at 18 and it was under this notion that I was adopted by the Tuies, um, which, I mean, in under the premise of who took him in and who formed and shaped Michael Orr as we know him, yes, but legally, no. And he's trying to get an injunction through a court, through a judge, to where they can no longer profit off of his name. And then retroactively, he's trying to go back and see what money was profited off of his name and get his quote-unquote fair share. It's, uh, it's crazy. He's, he's saying that they've lied about the entire story of adoption that everyone really came to know through the movie The Blind Side. Devil's advocate here. 
Yeah. Is it on 18-year-old Michael Orr to know what he's signing when he's signing paperwork and know exactly what it is? I don't know. Or are we – and I, I'm sympathetic to this. Or are you just thinking, you know, this family that took me in for the last few years or last couple of years, they're not leading me astray. I'll, I'll sign whatever. If it means that I'm a part of the family that I've already been in for a while, then I'll just sign it if that's they tell me that it is. And here's the other thing. Were the twoies up to no good by waiting until he was 18 to have him sign this and misleading him about what it was? Or is this just some giant misunderstanding about what it is exactly that he signed and how they were saying it basically is adoption and he took it as, as you were legally adopting me? A lot of questions. Not a lot of answers right now because the Tui family, they've no comment on everything that's gone on and these allegations in the story from ESPN. So less than three, this happened less than three months after he turned 18. Uh, they took him in. Do you remember how old he was when they took him in? It was high school. Yeah, I want to say like he was, 15 or 16. Because he was bouncing around to different homes. And then ultimately the, the Tuies brought him into their home. But the way that the petition is, it reads, it's saying that the couple tricked him into signing a document that made them conservators of any future finance, any future earnings. Um, that, that is, we've got to hear from them and this, the other side. We'll hear from their lawyer. Um, but the, the allegations are, I mean, he's calling them liars through this. Um, and I, I immediately think like, okay, because he didn't like the movie anyway. And I know that firsthand with him speaking at his locker when he was briefly with Tennessee and, and the Titans after playing with the Ravens. I, I know he didn't like the film. Um, but he found out this past year that, in fact, legally, they've profited, and he didn't profit what he certainly thinks he should. Now, and that, if, that, that not only the Tuies, but their, their birth children also profited greatly based on the money that comes in through the royalties of this movie. To me, that's the big one. So the Tuies have commented publicly saying they did not take any percentage of royalties. They just got paid a flat fee for the story to begin with. Michael Orr is saying there's a 2.5% royalty bonus that the family got that was split amongst Sean and Leanne Tuie and their two biological children. Mm -hmm. And he got none of that. If or and his attorney can, can prove that, that's pretty damning on the two. That's that what they're looks, trying to do. That looks terrible. They're trying to go and look at the finance. They also records. outright lied about not getting a percentage of anything when they said they just got a flat fee, So what, if that's the case. This through the report and through the attorney, while the deal allowed the Tuies to profit from the film, the petition alleges a separate 2007 contract uh, that – or apparently signed, uh, appears to, quote, give away, end quote, to 20th Century Fox Studios the life rights to his story without any payment whatsoever. The filing also says Orr has no recollection of signing that contract, and even if he did, no one explained the implications to him. But based on the conservatorship, if they're conservators of his name, they could sign that document having the legal authority to do so without him signing it. That's crazy. It's nuts. There, this will be the movie, The Blind Side, will be 15, year old, 15 years old next year. Um, Trevor in the YouTube chat says that this may be a part of the director's cut uh, coming soon. 
this whole or lawsuit un- at the end of it. Yes. Blindsided. Michael you got to put a different cry on at the end of the movie saying in August of 2023, Michael Orr sued the Tuies for saying or for not actually adopting him. And, and in this, in, in the court proceedings today through this petition, he's or is saying he never received any money from the movie. Yeah. Uh, That's the other thing. If they got a flat fee. Yeah, but you would know, like, wouldn't you pay him something? This is, I mean, that's not new. Well, when did, when you, did it shift? So here's what I would ask. Like, when did the whole dynamic shift? When it went, it's went away from the Tuies who were very wealthy in mm-hmm. Memphis paying for Michael Orr, and how long did that last, to apparently the Tuies giving him nothing, or did they give him a lot in college and after, even yeah. as he was a highly paid professional football player? And he's well known not just because of football, but because of the film and the story. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, that's people know. We'll always know him more for that than his playing career. Coming up, what's the future look like for paying running backs and the great debate there, and how do how do players solve it in the NFL? Andrew Brandt joins us coming up on Hot Mike with Evan Withrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us on this Monday edition. Hope you'll join us on the YouTube channel or by listening to this great radio partner. Just search out Outkick. Uh, coming up, a preseason play from the weekend that you've got to see to believe or hear to believe. We'll dive into that momentarily. The discussion about running back compensation has been going on for months. And Josh Jacobs continues to hold out with Vegas. You've got Jonathan Taylor, who's back in Indianapolis, but status remains the same. He wants to be traded. How do NFL players go about solving this solution instead of just discussing it? It's got to be more than just holding a Zoom call amongst players prior to the start of the regular season. Andrew Brandt has plenty of answers and opinions on what could be on the horizon. You can... Check him out with the Business of Sports podcast, which is excellent. Also, uh, the Sports Business League, which you can learn more about and membership available for great insights at andrew-brandt.com. Great to have you back on. Hope you're doing well. Good to be with you as always. You know, there's no real football going on, but the business of football never ends. It seems like I've been busier. People sort of in my area have been busier this offseason than many others. And like like you said, both college and pro. And, you know, that's my background. I was an agent many years. I worked for the Packers 10 years, and now I do this. And the busy time is the offseason. You know, when the season's going, when the games are being played in all those professions I mentioned, it's kind of kicked back. You know, like then it's turned over to players and coaches and that side of the world. But Sports business is really for the off season. It's really when things happen, 
the contracts, the free agency, the assemblage of teams, and then the bigger issues about media and about conference realignment in college. And of course, all the, the dystopia that we've seen with running backs and contracts in the NFL. I want to start with college and across the landscape, if we can. Andrew Brandt with yeah. us. Um, do you foresee a college players union on the horizon? And if so, how would they get that started? How do you build that from the ground up behind the scenes? Well, I think in terms of how it would start, it's like any union starts where you have a group that wants to collectively bargain and wants to represent them as a bargaining unit. Question I have is like, who would they go to? Would it be all football players? Would it be a segment of the football population? Would it be power five football? Would it only be starters? Would it be quarterbacks and receivers treated differently? That's a big question. And then who are they bargaining with? Are they bargaining with the schools? Are they bargaining with the NCAA? Are they bargaining with the athletic department? Are they bargaining with the university president? So you can say, you, you sort of hear this, yeah, they should be employees, they should bargain, but then you're like, well, wait a minute, what about, and what about, would there be a salary cap? Would there be cuts? Would there be uh, workman's compensation? What tax treatment would everyone get? What about school part of it? If that's allowed, if that's optional? So there's more questions than answers when it comes to that. But on the broader picture, what we've seen is that it is all about the money. It is all about finding the right media partner right now in college football at the highest levels, because media is the lifeblood of all college sports. And if you can get media revenues that win over other options, that's where people are going to go. We've seen that in the past couple of weeks. And depending on who you ask, it's either doom and gloom and college football as we know it and college football is going to be dead in 10 years and all of this. Coaches will, will sort of spout that line about the sport. They don't like where it is. They don't like where it's heading. Players have a different opinion uh, on everything. Media that cover the sport seem to think everything's fine. The product is, is okay. What do you think? Just the cold business perspective of what you've seen and what could be next. Should we be afraid about the future of college football? Depends how people feel about purity and amateurism. You know, I mean, that's my simplest answer. I think if you hold on to that ideal in power five, big time college football, it's not going to be very pretty for you. This is messy right now. I mean, the, the perfect storm combination of name image likeness money and the transfer portal has created free agency without a salary cap. It's created the option for top college football players to go through a season, come to the end of it, throw their name in the portal, whether they want to leave or not. And really, then it's about what's the number, okay? So if I can go out in the portal, I can see, well, I can get this number, pick a number, half a million, a million, $700,000 from this school. Then I can go back to my school and say, can you match 700 or do better? It's total free agency with no salary cap. and. For those of us who think that college football should be more amateur, should be more about scholarships and tuition and the old days, yeah, it's not good. But if you're if you're realistic about the economics, then you've got to take a different view of it. I have a I have multiple feelings on this, guys. I do think the name on the front of the jersey is probably more important than the name on the back of the jersey. So how do you deal with that? I mean, if Michigan and Ohio State or Tennessee and Florida 
or Alabama and LSU are going to play a football game, how many of those 100,000 people in the stands would not come if so-and-so player wasn't playing, right? (laughs) It's like, it's all about the brand in my case. So what I think is these players are making a ton of money off these brands that they otherwise wouldn't if they went to smaller schools. So it's really sort of a win-win for the players right now. Andrew Brandt, our guest on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Uh, to the NFL, you mentioned the running back issues yeah. that the players have had, the, the, the franchise tag. Uh, the only position lower would be the kickers and punters on the tag, and there's an $8 million gap between the next positions uh, that they're comparing themselves to. Jonathan Taylor sees what's going to happen here. If he plays, likely he's receiving the tag if he plays well from the Indianapolis Colts a year from now. What do you make of the situation there? And, uh, you know, behind the scenes, of course, everything that Ursay has said and now how they're trying to also say that they want Jonathan Taylor long term. Yeah, you know, before we leave college, let's talk about that here, because I think running backs are severely disadvantaged by this college eligibility rule with the draft. It's three years, as you know. you got to be three years removed from high school compared to one year in the NBA, no no requirement in, in baseball or hockey. So what does that mean? That means ages 18, 19, 20, they can't get paid other than NIL. So now we're looking at a real disadvantage for this specific position. For quarterbacks, offensive line, defensive line, not so much. But for this position, those are prime earning years. So by the time they get to the NFL at age 21, 22, they're under a rookie contract four years till age 26. There's a franchise tag, fifth round, a fifth year option for first rounders. Saquon Barkley's not going to see free agency for seven years, if that. And Jonathan Taylor's in the same boat. What I can't tell you, and you can't tell me, and no one listening can say this, if Jonathan Taylor is the greatest year ever, is that going to help him next year? I don't know. I don't think it will. Think about that. If he has one of the greatest running back years ever, is it going to help him get a contract next year? I don't know. It may hurt. Because with running backs in short shelf life and the shortest career in any position, productivity early in your career does not, does not equal future value. That's the scary thing about the position. How do you solve it? I don't know. I wish I had an answer. Frankly, some of these running backs have called me because they're searching for every any answer. If they could get the union not to put aside a special fund for running backs, not to have them treated differently, but if the, somehow the union could bargain down the draft eligibility rule to what the NBA has one year out, that would make a huge difference for running backs. Because then teams would be, okay, I'll give them a second contract at age 23 instead of age 26. Even that would make a huge difference. Let's stick with running back. Is there a way that Saquon Barkley can view what he did with this adjusted contract as a win for him? I mean, depends how much he wanted to get back in camp. (laughs) I've I've been public about this. I, I, I see, I don't know why he did that deal. $900,000 of hard-to-earn incentives, which require him, the Giants, to make the playoffs. And a $2 million advance, basically, he gets the money two two months before he was going to otherwise get it. To come to camp six weeks before he really needed to, to get his big check starting in September. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I see why Josh Jacobs is not showing up. He's a franchise tag player. He doesn't need to show up. 
he'll show up when the when the games count and he gets his 600,000 a week. But yeah, I don't get it with Barkley. It just shows you. You know, guys, players like Daniil Hunter and Matthew Judon and Buda Baker, you know what the teams did? They just threw them free money for 2023 just to, to make them happy. Not incentives, right? Not incentives. They gave him real money. Now, Barkley had to sort of beg for his food with incentives. And back to my point about Taylor, if Barkley, now he needs the ball, right? Now he needs to get a lot of carries to get those incentives. So the idea of him saving himself for free agency, that's not there either. Andrew, you certainly know the, the Packers stance and the background with Rodgers there. In New York, he takes a $35 million pay cut. What's really going on there behind the scenes other than him just volunteering to take a $35 million pay cut? Yeah, I'd like to know if there's more to the story because we were reading at least reports two weeks before that that he wanted equity, that he wanted actually a piece of the Jets. And then he takes a, a, it's a little complicated because what he had was an option deal inherited by the Jets from the Packers that moved the money actually to 2024. So the way it was structured, he was making like a million in 2023 and $107 million in 2024. Now he's making $38 million in 2023. So he actually got a $37 million pay increase, but he took a $70 million pay cut in 2024. So it's a little bit slanted to say he took a, a $35 million pay cut because that money wasn't guaranteed. You know, 50 million or so was guaranteed of that old deal. But uh, uh, he's getting great press and obviously it looks yeah. great for him. Really comes down to, is he going to play next year? I know he says all the right things, but he was in the darkness this year, pretty much <laughs> retired. So you hope he's back next year. If he's not back, then he just got $35 million before more than he was going to get without this deal. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see if this deal's redone next year if he comes back, which sort of brings him back the money. But right now, yes, it's, it's quite a gesture by Aaron, who I know and like, uh, towards the Jets. So Saudi money has been a big talking point uh, with everything uh, this, this past summer. So far, yeah. the private investment fund has mostly invested in interna uh, international sports, tennis, golf, Formula One racing, soccer. Andrew, do you see a scenario where they start to inject their money and ownership into big American sports, football, baseball, other American-based big leagues? Yeah, first of all, I was at the Live Tour this weekend at the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia, and I was impressed. I mean, listen... It was well, the teams thing is cool from, in my opinion, and the music sort of gets you pumped up. Like you're, you're arriving at a running race. Like I do marathons and running races. It sort of was a, a nice way. And the, and the shotgun starts. I'm like, a lot of this stuff makes sense. You know, we talk about baseball, new rules, trying to get more fans. That makes a lot of sense. So it's clearly injected itself into golf. And I'm hearing that the future may look more live like than PGA like with golf. Could they inject into American sports? Yes. The answer is yes, but don't hold your breath for Saudi majority ownership. In other words, a sport like the NBA allows for sovereign wealth fund investment, but it's up to 30% with no individual firm having more than 20%. So it's already happened with the Washington Wizards and Capitals. There's 5% money, not from the Saudis, but from Qatari, 
So, so Middle Eastern money is already in there. And I would think the Saudis will invest in these sports leagues without majority control. But you know what I say, these billion, you know, the commander's going for six billion, you're going to run out of multi-billionaires, right? So you're going to have to look to institutional money, private equity, obviously, but even Saudi and institutional money from overseas. I think it's coming. And the thing I'll say about the the attitude towards Saudi money, I think already, guys, it's changing. Maybe incrementally, but bit by bit, the more they invest in golf, in F1, in European soccer, in the Washington Wizards, there's that desensitization uh, that the Saudis are this these terrible people. So it's working. What they're doing is working as they try to diversify from oil into a more likable area of sports. There's Andrew Brandt. Uh sports business insider and, and does great work at andrew-brandt.com. Always great to chat with him. And, and as we're having this discussion with Andrew Brandt, Ezekiel Elliott, speaking of running backs, has signed with the New England Patriots. Ezekiel Elliott, who is signing, uh, according to reports, a one-year contract worth up to $6 million. Uh, say what you want about Zeke. The last two seasons in Dallas, 22 touchdowns combined. And he's now competing for carries, or the other way around, really, with uh, Ramondre Stevenson. The reaction should be interesting from him. We'll see if we can find that coming up. Plus, a play in the preseason from this weekend you got to see. That's next on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Shout out to our staff here in Nashville across the Outkick Network for making it happen today. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Top Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Glad you're with us as well if you're streaming or listening live. So uh, Zeke Elliott finds a landing spot. He's going to be a New England Patriot. Scored 22 touchdowns over the last two seasons. Uh, and while he's certainly not the number one option at this point in his career, he lost that to Tony Pollard, even though they were still giving Zeke a ton of carries. A lot of those came in the red zone, Chad, and they made the most of it when they reached there with Zeke carrying or uh, catching the football. He's now competing with uh, Ramondre Stevenson, who's the lead back in New England. But after you know taking a peek at Dalvin Cook, now it is Ezekiel Elliott, that will be a part of that run game. And that's big. They need to, to bolster the run game in New England to help out Mac Jones. And next week, we will see Zeke Elliott firsthand. He'll be rolling through Nashville as part of a joint practice with the Titans. Pretty clearly, fourth out of four teams in that, in that division, the, the Patriots coming so. into the season. A team that's not fourth out of four would be the Dolphins. That was initially the thought for Dalvin Cook. Now that... Zeke Elliott is with the Patriots, Hutton. My big question is, what, what does that mean for Dalvin Cook, if anything? Yeah, I mean, it, 
he can continue. I mean, ultimately, he's going to sign for a deal that was less than whatever pay cut he was offered from Minnesota if he wants to play. Um, there are a couple of a handful of options. What he's what does that mean? He's hoping for an injury somewhere for a running back needy team, um, or he can play on a a small offer, a, a low offer, I should say, from Miami, but. He hasn't landed there, even though he wants to play there, and he's made that perfectly clear. Interesting, because now we, it seems as though they're on the right path with Mac Jones in New England. You know, Bill O'Brien's brought in uh, all the talk about hot seat for Belichick. O'Brien is there to run the offense. And, you know, as far as offensive coordinators go, O'Brien has that NFL style that fits Mac Jones's style at quarterback, and they now have the run game at least on paper, uh, that should be serviceable behind Stevenson, bringing in the veteran like Elliott for a one-year contract. The season where we discover whether or not it's been a coaching issue before or a Mac Jones issue, because this year it's all about Mac Jones. They got him what he needed to succeed. If he doesn't, they have a Mac Jones quarterback problem. They've got Devontae Parker. uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is there at wide receiver. Tyquan Thornton is back. Uh, They've got uh, Kayshawn Booty. From LSU as one of the rookies. What, a sixth-round pick, I think, is what he was. He's certainly better than that. Uh, And in their backfield, uh, it's really a a a two-player combo with Stevenson and Elliott with others behind them. Um, Chad, did you see Kyler Murray? He's wearing like a sports bra at practice. What what is this? Uh, I I don't care. Wear whatever you want, but wear a... Cardinals uniform, put a jersey on, and if you're not going to wear that, wear a shirt. Wear, <laughs> he's wearing a sports bra at practice, and I can't help but think if I'm a player looking at the leader of the team, which is the quarterback spot, and he's looking like this at practice, I'm not following that guy. Yeah, it, it is There's definitely no leadership quality there. It's definitely a sports bra. Um, it's very popular in soccer. All soccer players wear this underneath their kit, yeah. I've noticed. Watching the National SC game against a the team that they underneath, took, underneath they took the off their jersey and they all had those on. Underneath. Yeah. I don't understand the value of it. <laughs> well, if there's value, there's value. Just put a... Well, if you have man boobs, I understand the value behind it, but he doesn't. So I don't get I don't, it. I don't, I don't care one way or the other if you think he's a great quarterback that hasn't been in the right system or if you think you know, he's just a guy who likes to play video games that happens to choose football over baseball, whatever. I don't care who it is. You can't show up wearing this at a practice. This goes like, this is the representative of the organization currently because no one really knows Jonathan Gannon. Uh, no one knows Monty Austin for the new general manager. And they have one of the worst rosters period. One of their first signings was a turnstile offensive tackle that played here last year. And Monty Austinfort was also here last year in the front office. So that was one of their first off-season signings for the Cardinals roster. Not going to be pretty. Trevor in the YouTube chat. No, no pretty uh, shot here of Kyler Murray. No, he says these sports bras are officially called the GPS tracker vest. Very common among male footballers. According to experts, modern players in the game wear it in order to read their GPS data. Uh, again. Couldn't you, you wear something else no, you for can, that? You can wear it. They also put it in the, the GPS trackers uh, for camp. It's in their pads, or it's right inside their uniform in their back collar where the tag would be. That's where they wear them for, for those purposes. In games, whatever. Like the next-gen stats and all that that have, every, have everything hooked up. But normally it's a, in a little pocket attached to their shoulder pads. 
uh, not on a sports bra. I don't see many offensive linemen wearing sports bras. Do you think he wears this while playing Call of Duty? <laughs> maybe this is his battle attire? Uh, maybe nude. Could be. Maybe nude with all but the sports bra. Possibly. Everything I, I else. Party downstairs, uh, sports again, bra up top. If players are wearing this, so be it. Just put a t-shirt or a jersey on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's bad. I mean, you can see in the photo, everyone else is padded up. I don't like... <laughs> But just wear, like, if there's something about restricting something or just wear, like, a, a tank top that's that. <laughs> like, finish it out, right? Yeah. You don't need just the up top. Just yeah, go yeah, ahead and go I mean, all the way down. You just got the day off. Like, come on, man. It's bad. You don't need the GPS tracker if you have the day off and you're just walkie-talkie and the play calls in. Uh, apparently, by the way, the offense in Arizona, Chad, is going to be more diverse. It's going to be more... Uh, NFL-like instead of college structure and terminology. So it's more, it's more than like three or four words to get the play call in, like Kingsbury was using. Yeah, That's another frightening sign uh, for any Cardinals fans uh, out there. Um, and keep in mind, Cliff Kingsbury's simple offense was apparently too tough for Kyler Murray because of his video game play. Yeah, they put in, what, the four-hour Does not – it's not a good vote of confidence for a more complex offense. Yeah, but the GM and the head coach that were there, uh, Kime and Kingsbury, they handed out that contract, uh, which was $150 million guaranteed, I believe, uh, for, for Murray. Chad, uh, DeMar Hamlin back at practice a couple of weeks ago. This weekend played in the preseason game for the Buffalo Bills. And, I mean, it is he, – he says he's not thinking twice about – playing his, his game, playing the sport he loves. But the emotions behind the scenes have to be extraordinary for a guy that was not just carted off, uh, but went to the hospital that we thought we all witnessed his death on a Monday night football game. Here's DeMar Hamlin postgame. Look, when you step in between them lines, you're putting yourself at risk by hesitating and by res reserving yourself. You know what I'm saying? So... You know, I, I made the choice that I wanted to play. You know, it wasn't nobody else's choices but mine. So making that choice, I know what comes with it. You know what I'm saying? So when you see my cleats laced up with my helmet and shoulder pads on, there ain't going to be no hesitation. You know what I'm saying? Because you, you can't play this game like that. You, you'll put yourself at more risk by hesitating. So, you know, I'm out there. I'm just not thinking twice. I'm just playing my game and playing how I was taught to play since I was my little brother's age. You know what I'm saying? I think it's incredible. It's an incredible story. You know, the, the movie rights there are going to be something to behold. I'm tying back in the story today with Michael Orr and the blind side. Um, but also, keep this in mind. He was playing towards the end of the year due to depth issues and injuries. Um, they've got their starter and backups, the second string pretty much set. If he's on the roster, he's playing special teams, or he's inactive on game day. Um, so it's not going to be a slight to DeMar Hamlin, that I could see some some trying to twist into, oh, you know, they're not playing him because they're scared he's going to get hurt. I, he was inactive in most cases anyway based on his roster status. I think it's remarkable that he's back competing for a job and doing it well. Yeah, it's very it's it's a great feel-good story that he's out there. And he's right. I mean, if you're going to do this, yeah, any yeah. sport, you can't think twice about it. And it, he looks like a guy who's not thinking twice, so good for him. Play of the weekend. Oh, this is incredible. Play of the weekend. Nathan Rourke. Former Ohio Bobcat quarterback, played in the CFL, now with Jacksonville, and he's battling for a backup role against C.J. Beathard 
and battling to be the third quarterback on the active roster, evaded what felt like every player on the field and what is a, uh, a moment that you only really see in bad football movies because it doesn't look realistic, evading so many different would-be tacklers to throw not just a first down but a touchdown pass in the preseason game against Dallas. It looked like um, Tommy Frazier for Nebraska against Florida in the Fiesta Bowl back in the day, bouncing off guys and, and breaking tackles and then able to get out of the, a pocket and throw the touchdown. It, incredible. For a guy that does not look that athletic. No. He just looks like a big old truck. And, and, and I play, guess that's what you need in that case is a big old truck to break tackles and throw that touchdown pass. But in a play, Chad, where at one point there are so many defenders around him, you can't see him. You just assume he's at the bottom of the pile. And for yeah, a brief he moment, miraculously he miraculously comes out of the pile in, the, in one instance. And then throws the touchdown. I mean, it's, yeah. 11 players felt like 13 on this play, and he still threw the touchdown in Dallas. Well done. And it was a dime. I, I hope he makes the team. I do, too. I mean, he's, he made the top highlight reel of the, the preseason games. That, that's for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm with you. What a story that would be. Uh, you know who's going to make the team is Stetson Bennett out in Los Angeles. Chad, we mentioned whenever he was drafted, fourth round. Well, of course, Sean McVay. It's all about quarterback and head coach Perry. We've seen that with Kyle Shanahan and who it works for, who it doesn't work with. Who knows what happens with Trey Lance, but it certainly worked with Brock Purdy. Um, in this case, the pairing of Sean McVay with Stetson Bennett, like this, this could work. And he's, he's always been, Bennett has always been the guy that's like, oh, well, the magic, the, the we're going to see the, the, the clock strike midnight soon on whatever we've seen at Georgia. Well, then he goes back-to-back with national championships. Uh, the fan base wanted him benched going into the college football playoff the first championship year. And then he goes on this tear in the playoff after playing awful against Alabama in the SEC title game and then sets all types of records for Georgia going on to win their first title in 41 years. Now he's back-to-back. He's going to have a statue at some point in Athens. And now he's on the verge of making the roster as a fourth-round quarterback for Sean McVay's Los Angeles Rams. In his debut, uh, 17 completions, nearly 200 yards, and a touchdown, where, uh, you know, I'm the guy that's saying don't read in and overreact, but it's hard not to whenever he's putting up certain numbers with a certain coach that we're not seeing across the board with what is regarded as poor quarterback play and poor quarterback development once you get past the second string option. Bennett is better than that, and he's showing it in live game action. That's, that's important to note. He's, he's with the right coach. Well, since he came back to Georgia and started dominating and winning games, his whole story is so improbable. Yeah. The most improbable would be him becoming a good starter in the NFL. That would just shock me. Like average starter. Just good. a starter. Good. Top 15 starter in the NFL. That yeah. would be remarkable. Well, I would say, you know, the average would be yeah, he's somewhere gonna, between he's gonna make the 16 quarterback. He's making the team. It's now can he become a starter. And you know what? He looks not right now, but eventually. He looks comfortable. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like he doesn't look like he gets rattled. Um if he's facing pressure, he's not all that concerned. He gets the ball away. Um, the score doesn't matter here. But if you just watch every pass attempt and throw and you know some of the options that they had within the offense and who he's playing with, uh, 
there are a lot of teams out there that could use Stetson Bennett right now because they don't really have a great backup option. Now, uh, how will he be as a backup, though, personality-wise? Yeah, see, I don't... And what you need from the backup, because this offseason, he didn't show that as a guy yeah, that's going to be a great backup quarterback. But he's a guy that's been the backup in some key moments at Georgia that then ascended whenever he was given the chance, right? And he was told he wasn't even good to be the backup yeah. when he first started. I'm intrigued by the story. And look, if he's paired with... Uh, name insert the team here. If he's paired in Houston or... Well, that's not fair to Houston based on who they hired as their OC. Uh, in, in Tennessee, um, in Indianapolis. But he's with McVay. And anyone that even shakes the hand of Sean McVay ends up having some type of success or better and options he's next. than shaking the hand of, you know, Josh McDaniels, for instance. We are back at it tomorrow. I hope you'll join us for Hot Mike with Honey Withrow, 3 o'clock Eastern, right here across the Outkick Network. <laughs>